what's up everybody you tuned in to another episode of a new perspective so glad to have you here on this juneteenth weekend it's really dope to see all of the juneteenth love and support and the education going out on that and so i hope you had a juneteenth barbecue got together uh and celebrated uh celebrated the rich history of juneteenth the pod is rather long today, so I'm not going to try to hop off on any tangents or anything like that. Just give you a few quick hitters before we get into our special guest. I know that not everybody listens to the final minute, and so um, hopefully you get some of uh, some of what we talked about in your ears. So um, let's start with, hey, continue the notion that protesting works. Um, this is the first time I've ever seen Juneteenth celebrated on this uh, scale and be this big and so it's only going to grow and it really does my heart um, well to see some of those changes um, taking place and taking effect and more of course more and more businesses are hopping on the train of being supportive of that Um, but part of protesting works and I don't have as much time as I want to to get into it uh, is the whole chant of gator bait I know that that has really ruffled some old feathers there and let me let me say this because i don't want to just sound like a gator hater because i said it's great to be a gator hater it's my favorite thing to do um is it conflicting because i know that that's part of been part of what the university of florida has done forever or however long they've done it um are there a majority of people who did not know that black and brown children were used as literal gator bait and um, that there have been people for years that have said, hey, this is a problem and it needs to be changed. Um, But part of this whole purging wokeness, um, seeing things for what they are is, um, this is a prime example of we've been doing things so long that are offensive and racially rooted um, that we've grown attached to them. And so um, somebody said to me, what if they came after the war chant? If they came after the war chant, bye. I'm a a fan of Florida State University. If if they're the Florida State University Peacocks, then I'm going to be a fan of the Florida State University Peacocks. Um, And so (laughs) this thing is really challenging attachments and love and it's it's going to bring even more sometimes um, things seem to be getting worse before they get better and, and I think that's one of the things you're going to see here in this situation uh, that we're going to few, lose a few more things that people are mad about ain't mamas I've always known that ain't mamas is racist but maybe that's just one of the benefits of growing up in the entity that we affectionately call, know and love and call the black church. And so is the syrup gonna change, the flavor of the thing? No, but we've all seen people make that racist ain't your mama joke towards their black friends. And we gotta call it out, it's gonna be painful. Um, even more so on the whole protesting work thing. How about the SEC? I'm a SEC criticizer, but how about them saying, hey, we're not holding any championship events in Mississippi until you get it done. And people are like, oh, well, you don't anyway. But the SEC holds championship events in Mississippi all the time. So, hey, you don't have to listen to black people or brown people or green or black people or brown people or white people 
Uh, but everybody listens to that green person on that green piece of paper. And money makes the world roll and go round. So uh, if, once people start losing dollars, they'll they'll change some things. Um, even that with protesting and rallying at home, let me tell y'all, uh, let's be a little personal. Last night, I got off of work. There was a truck sitting in the parking lot. That's peculiar. Uh, nobody really knows what I drive unless you've seen me driving it since uh, I got a new vehicle. I waited and, you know, did my normal thing. Crunk up my car. Truck crunk up. Um, and it followed me for a good, um, for a good little minute. Um, till I slid it through the hood, whipped on Long Street, and it turned off. And so, um, people understand, I understand the risk of this not everybody likes for um not everybody likes change not everybody likes when you come at them not everybody likes when you uh challenge their normal and i'll tell you this and if you listen to this and you're one of those people that screenshot what i post or what i say and post it in the white supremacist group and post it in the league of the south or um make little comments on it or post it on uh other people's comments to say I'm the problem. Let me tell you, if you knew some of the stuff that I know that people have screenshotted that I have hit send on, you would know that I am not scared of no damn screenshots, okay? That is not what would ever bring me down, all right? I was young and dumb and wild, and uh, there is definitely more incriminating things out there that could be found about me. Uh, <laughs> had somebody go through um, I got almost 80,000 tweets on Twitter and I don't know how they found some stuff they found and it's like All right, shut up or this will get out and I, was like, I don't care okay I used to be on Twitter after dark talking mad trash um, probably why I ain't never running for office but I used to do it so uh, take your take your screenshots take your freedom take your whatever whatever but you'll still think of me um, this week has been, oh, let's get into it. I didn't catch a fish. I don't even have that on the show notes. Yes, I just threw something. Uh, fishing was amazing. Uh, we got on the water at about six. Son got to drive the boat. Uh, my father-in-law caught a ton of fish. He was even throwing the fish back, and it was almost like he was throwing them right to where we could catch them. And we didn't catch a single fish. <laughs> And so it got to be about noon and the sun was like in the perfect p position to like kick our butts. My father-in-law looks at uh, JJ and says, so uh, y'all ready to go in? I'm like, oh, Jordan, you know, this is kind of about you. Said, I'm not leaving till I catch a fish. It's like, oh God, here comes his competitive nature. He's all freaking mad. And yeah, he, he's, he might not be my kid by birth, but he's definitely my kid because he is ready to like jump in the lake and start pulling fish out the water by hand and uh about five minutes later that son whipped his butt enough to be like i ain't giving up i'm just saying i'll be back so we didn't catch a fish uh had, we, we went bass fishing tried uh, two or three lakes down in sebring can't believe i didn't catch a fish so if i die tomorrow y'all cannot put that he was a fisher man he was a fisher of men <laughs> a little biblical pun there um so but it was good. It was good to debrief and um, detox and not reply to everything that's been sent. 
um, some really vile stuff. Listen, this thing is pulling stuff and exposing some people that I'm like, ouch. Ouch, that hurts. But it's also bringing out support um, and people bringing out resources and saying, hey, I can do this. Hey, I can do that. Uh, me and some of my classmates are working on another project uh, for diversity and make safe places for conversations. And so, um, yeah, I was I was pretty hurt. So here's another perspective, uh, a perspectors uh, question. Y'all got to help me with that. I asked y'all for help last week. And uh, y'all got to help me name the portion where people send me questions to talk about on the pod. And they aren't political and they aren't uh, socially active driven. They aren't any of those things. It's about my boy. Well, one is. Uh, one is about my boy Thomas Patrick Edward Brady Jr. Um, and I should probably already had this pulled up. This is making for great listening. I just know it is. But it's about my opinion on old Brady. So here's the question. Pats fans turn Buck fans. I know you would definitely have an opinion on this. How can I not support Brady, but I'm still a How can I not support Brady, but I'm still a Pats fan at heart? People are going to say bandwagon all over again. Um and this comes from my wonderful friend that's a lawyer still I mean, uh, up in D.C. So, I love Tom Brady, but I'm a Patriots fan. I want the Patriots to win. I want the Patriots to win every single game. If you don't know, I have a brother that's in the NFL, and somebody asked me if your brother was playing Tom Brady for the Super Bowl, who would you want to win the Super Bowl? And uh, I said, if, uh, if it's Tom Brady, I want my brother to win. If my brother's playing the Patriots, I want the Patriots to win. So I'm, I'm that kind of Patriots fan. I want Tom to be successful. I am going to go to a game in Tampa if we have a lot of sports uh, and COVID is under control. Or maybe nobody will go and I can like buy a whole section for myself. But I got to see Tom Brady play. Um, it's on my bucket list. I uh, got to see Kobe play. I'm so happy I did that and, and watched him play. And he was still uh, pseudo in his in at the end of his prime, but he was in his he was still Kobe being Bryant. So I want to see Tom play. I will be at Tampa. I will be like, yes, I, I got to see my favorite player play. But as a Patriots fan, I'm a Patriots fan. I, I want the Patriots to win. I want that organization to win. That's who I've selected to cheer for. That's who I've selected to root for. Um, and so we're going to have to see if Bill Belichick is all that he's meant to be. And I think he is. And not everybody plays forever. And the only person in sports who is undefeated is Father Time. Uh, the second question was Kaepernick. Should a team recruit him? Not sure if his playing style fits any particular team right now. So I'm curious to see if you think any particular offense would support his style. I know everyone asked the question about whether what he did was right or not but i always supported his stance i think that the question is all is moot in general because of his merits he's a good player all right so here's where i stand with cap being in the league i ain't seen a play there was a point where i stood on the desk and said there are not 32 quarterbacks better than colin kaepernick then i stood on the desk and said there is no way there are 64 quarterbacks better than Colin Kaepernick. There are probably not 64 quarterbacks 
in the NFL currently that are better than Colin Kaepernick. The problem is, um, if you're going to look at Cap as a player or a social activist, because Cap's game had started to fall off. That's the one part we don't like to talk about, is that his game had started to fall off. Now, he's been out of the league for a while. I think people will run the dice on Cam Newton, which I don't understand how Cam is not on the team roster yet. Um, I think uh, Cap goes and in, in, is the backup for the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. I think that that would work behind Tyrod Taylor. I think um, it would be a chance for him to rehab it and just get in the league. If he wants to get in the league, I know he puts on his Instagram every day or, or Twitter or whatever that he still uh, works out actively. And so we'll see. Um, but I support his endeavors. But the NFL stands for not for long. And so he's been out. It's been like five years now, right? No. Yeah. Five, five or four or five years since his him being ostracized. And now the NFL is trying to backtrack. But he's kind of uh, taking time off the man's clock. So um, that that's where I think he ends up playing. I don't think it matters about NFL style. Um, what would really be right in the world is if the 49ers made amends and welcomed Cap back. Uh, you would feel Levi Stadium. Uh, Cap never lost that locker room. Uh, you would have to deal with the old Bosa boy um, and, and some of his racist remarks in the past. But uh, there are a lot of people who are backtracking on this thing, and I, I, uh, that's a whole other pod. and Not next week's pod either. So, um, Now I want to introduce... Uh, our special guest uh, on this Father's Day, the very first guest on the new perspective. I think the sound is pretty good. I know it fades in and out uh, with the connection. Sometimes I apologize about that. I'm still going to post it. But uh, I felt it right for the first episode of the pod to have my dad on um, the perspective. Uh, Dr. Ronald Blair Jr. And so, um, yeah. We get into it. We, we talk about uh, my siblings. I do have, from my dad, six siblings. Now, I got two dads. That's a question, too. I got a lot of siblings. I have two dads. And uh, I am close with uh, with my siblings on both sides. But from my biological dad, I've got uh, Orlando. We'll talk about him. We call him OJ. We got uh, Ronald III, RB3, um, Jayana, Addison, and Zakai. We talk about them a little bit. Um, so my dad is a father of six, a grandfather of seven. Um, he has uh, the credentials in, in academia, um, having secured, of course, a high school diploma, a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and his doctorate in uh, ed leadership. I think I said that wrong. That's not what his doctorate is in. And I don't feel like going back and recording that. Um his doctorate is in higher post-secondary education. He is a uh, world-renowned athlete. We talk about that a little bit. He's coached a lot of sports, and so it's just good to just be on the phone um, for about an hour with uh, with the guy who, uh, hey, help make me. And so I hope you all enjoy that uh, enjoy that perspective. And so it ends kind of abruptly. And I'm going to end it now. I thank you. Well, I'm not ending it now. <laughs> we'll start that uh, interview now. 
and enjoy the perspective. All right, I think we're pretty good on the sound. Okay. To the perspective, how does it feel to be the first guest? <laughs> yeah, it's an honor being the first guest. Uh, I'm proud of you. I think it's uh, an awesome venture because you know for a long time I've been telling you that I think that you're an awesome broadcaster. So yeah, I'm glad you, you're finally making that push. Yeah, I don't know if you if you could have wrote the the uh, the plan for my life, it would have been broadcast journalism. Uh, I'd, have, I'd have been a Jake kid. So oh, I yeah. should have done that. Yeah. Looking back, I think one of my biggest regrets <laughs> was uh, not going to FAMU. But then uh, you might have had a few more grandchildren if I'd have went to FAMU. So maybe that's uh, that's probably a good thing that I didn't go. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, uh, We're going to get into it. I don't know how long it is uh, a conversation to be, but for the people on the perspective that are listening, I want to enjoy it. Um, try to give them a overview. Um, you were Dr. Ronald Blair, um, father of six, seven grandkids. Um, we're going to get into that. Education, we'll walk down that path. Um, we'll look at life from a coach and from some of your, you know, athletic achievements. And then wherever the cookie crumbles, whatever we decide to talk about uh, for Father's Day. This is our, our time together for Father's Day. How does that sound? I think it's awesome. I'm ready. Let's go. All right. So let's get into it. You've got six kids. Tell, talk, just let's let's talk about yeah. my siblings because we're all different people, but all in our <laughs> life. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um I don't know, man. Each one of you represents like a different transition point in my life. Um, I, I was like really retrospective the other day that when I graduated high school, like the day I graduated, you were there and I was holding you. So like there's things that, you know, over that I didn't get to enjoy, but I had that moment that, you know, when I graduated, my son was there. So I think that's great. But in reference to like your siblings, if I start with Orlando, um, I mean, man, he came in my life when, you know, I was in college that year. And then your sister, Jayana, it's kind of like, these, I mean, you guys just, I don't know, you hear that you represent like the better parts of me. Um, I mean, everything I do, I, I make sure that I consider the impact on you as compared to what the impact is on me because you know i got a you know really fiery attitude really smart mouth but i just think of the six of you when i make a decision uh, oj awesome father uh heck of an athlete you awesome father great broadcaster have a great feel for the game um ronald heck of a competitor uh very, very astute to like yourself. Um, so the let, game. let's let, let's talk Jay about Anna. the boys first. Let's talk about the boys before we get to okay. The girls. Because there's the a picture of me, uh, me, you, Pluck. Yeah. Those of you listening, Pluck is RB three, yeah. 
and OJ, that's Orlando. And in that picture, wherever we can say, dang, we could look and see each other's personality. Just it, that, that picture where we're looking off and it's like, yeah. okay, so you can tell that. I am, I don't mind saying that, uh, yeah. even with Zakai being the youngest, and we'll get to Zakai in a minute. I'm probably the, the little, I know I'm the least athletic. <laughs> um, but we are all like, well, go at each other's throat about it. I can convince that I could whoop OJ and plug yes. with one hand tied behind my back, and I'm sure they feel the exact <laughs> same way. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, I mean, you guys are similar, man, in, in, in y'all's y'all's competitive nature, which is funny because, like, in that picture, it does show your personalities, but at the same time, it, to me, it shows your your commonalities because you're always looking towards something. So it just amazes me how, like, the three of you when you met how you jailed, like you've been together in the same house your whole life. So when y'all get together and y'all have y'all little competitive things or when we're texting and you're having your competitive things, I, I, I enjoyed it because I think it's funny. I, I, I like that because I think that as brothers, you guys are supposed to be like that. You're supposed to push each other. You're supposed to make each other better. So I, I just think that that's awesome. It, I just want us to do it more, you know. For the listeners, I just want to do that more to understand that dynamic. And I mean, we pulled the curtain back and talked. Um, I think I found yeah, out about yeah. OJ and Pluck when I was what fifteen. Hell, I found out about you when I was fifteen. Um, you found out about me when you was fifteen. I found out about everybody. I know. 15, so it, 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 my dad is my godbrother too. It's a strange. It's a crazy story. It's one of those. <laughs> Let me tell you about this fish I caught stories. But to actually know you in that perspective, 15, 16. And so the first time we met um, was for Peerless and Nisha's wedding. And it was just funny because we. Pluck, the first time you and your siblings met. The first time me and my siblings met because uh, Pluck and OJ, of course, had met. Yeah. But they had never met me. Yeah. And all of us looked mm-hmm. like a version of you. And so it was just really weird. And that, like, that literally. Within five minutes of being around each other, we were like, okay, yeah, we're three brothers, and this is going to work really well, so cool. And they, actually, I didn't meet them first. I met yeah. Jayana first. Who is, it goes, Jayana. You met Jayana first right. because she, yeah. Yep, you met Jayana first because she was living with me in Florida. And then after Jayana, you met Addison. Yeah, and I met Addison and years later. After that, and I actually you, talked to Addie yeah. more yeah. than I talked to any of my other siblings. Talk Addison almost every other day. Which is odd. Yeah. yeah. Addie's, she, she's, yeah. That's, that. I call her the apple because, I mean, she just, I don't know, man. She, she's fascinating. That, 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 that's putting it lightly. All of you are fascinating, really. And I started to talk to Jay on them. I mean, I don't know. She, she gets mad. She, because we're like, you, you talk to Addie all the time. You don't talk to me all the time. And so we, I try to do an effort to talk to both of them. They're both at that age where you're supposed to fall it fine and stumble and figure stuff out. And OJ is, what, 31? Just turned 31 yeah. in April. I just turned 30 in yeah. January. Yeah. Pluck is living the dream that we would have yeah. all wanted to live. Um, and so we kind of, you know, our footing is kind of footed. And they're supposed to be finding themselves. And then there's Zakai, yeah. who's what, 10, 11? <laughs> He will be 10 in July, and he lets me know that he's almost double digits and that there's certain things that I can allow him to do 
because he's going to be double digits. So, I mean, he he's he's just it's like he he cracks me up because he reminds me of things like there's things that I miss with you that I got the experience with him that I you know that it's like okay. I try to do a comparative thing, like, yeah, personality-wise, the two of you are different. But similarities in some things, the way he talks, the way he, you know, can take over a room at that age just reminds me of you when I met you at, like, 15. Well, I didn't meet you at 15. I was just made aware of my responsibility to you at 15. Let's just put it that way. So, um so being around him, he's just a trip. But so educating him on his siblings and showing him pictures of you guys and him meeting you guys, that's fun to me because it makes me learn more about you guys as well as learn how he thinks in reference to his role in being the baby of six. So, but he's, I mean, he's smart. Going to the fifth grade, he's 10. He likes sports, but he's like he likes Pokemon more than he likes sports, which makes me scratch my head. So, well, you know, you get rich doing that stuff now. I mean, I know, you got a, uh, a video game and all this <laughs> stuff. You can make money. You can do it when I was little. But now these people are millionaires at like 17, 18 from being able to play Call of Duty. So I don't get it. And then, so just. Well, yeah, but the I'm, difference is that, so. Well, what I learned with him that I didn't understand when I was younger before it was football and I preach football, football, football with him. I'm kind of, I've let him try sports and I want him to tell me the one he likes so that I can be a better dad in the aspect and not so much a coach than a dad, if that makes sense. Because to me, the expectation was I played sports or I played football, so I wanted my son to do that. But looking back, I'm thinking like, okay, it would have been better to allow you guys to pick the sport that you really like the most and then go down that road. Well, if I, if so, I committed myself, I probably would have been privileged, a bit more decent, but it was just uh, it was an opportunity to be around. I was that kid that played football to socialize. Not to socialize, but to have friends. And I would agree with that. Well, I agree with that because I remember coming, I can't remember if it was going into your junior year or your senior year, going to your workout. And I was going to do that cycle with you. And we were sitting at that one station. And the next thing I know, they they were at the shrug machine or whatnot. And you went from the bench to the, it was a regular bench to incline to where they were doing squats. And I was like, damn, my son is working the room. Like, he's supposed to be over here doing his bench. Like, you're supposed to be going to do your whole little thing. He's working the room. Yeah. So I was like, okay. Yeah. Like, all right. And I remember, I remember like, going to the – He was the, not as athletic. That, that was going into my senior year because uh, I didn't make workouts that year. I didn't make workouts this year, that year. And Danny – because Danny sat on the car with Danny while he played flag football. And so – he pulled me in the office before senior year and he said, I know you the president everywhere else, but you ain't the president mm-hmm. on my field. I, I need to know. <laughs> I, I need to know what you're going to do. I, I should let you on the team. I was like, coach, I'll do whatever, blah, blah, blah. He said, you're just a waste. You're just a waste, Newton. I keep you around to motivate, but you you could have been so much more. Thanks, coach. Because, I mean, the Anderson side of my But see, that's the thing. Like that's the thing, Sean. But see, that's the thing, though, like, 
the perspective that I have on, on you in athletics is this. You didn't really play a lot. So when you were playing high school with guys who had been playing a lot, your curve was behind them. Your potential was was incredible because you do see the game. But the fact that you didn't play a lot and you are a very social person doesn't mean that you were a good athlete. It just means that you applied yourself more socially than you did athletically. Athletically, you could play with anybody had you been in a place where you could play as much as your brothers play. So it's not that you're not very athletic. It's just that you weren't groomed in that nature to be as athletic because uh, you have ability. Uh, you see the game. We talk about that. We've talked about that. You see the game. I think that's why I like coaching. I, I, it, I think that's why I love, I love coaching. I love coaching way more than I could ever be a player. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, about enough about letting perspective know about my uh, athletic adventure. <laughs> Especially when I compare it to the other two Otis. OJ, was this damn everything in, in Knoxville? He was everything. Uh, probably, oh, God, yeah. Probably the most athletic out of the three of us, and hell, Pluck is in the league. So, you know, I got kind of just sit back on those conversations and drink my water and want to, you know, <laughs> any of y'all want to have an oral debate, I'll do it, damn it. <laughs> anyway, so, so, we've never all six been in, all seven been in the same room. We got to make that happen. I've never been in the same room with my siblings. I, 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 yeah. Uh, that's the goal. It's, it's like it's like bits and pieces, and I don't know. It's like I don't know. Like I've been with off. I've been with Orlando, Ronald, Addison, Jayana. When, when I was younger, when I was in college, when I was in Clarksville. You know, in the summer times, everybody would come to where I am, and Addison's from Clarksville, so everybody would be there. And then you, Ronald. Orlando, Jayana, you know that, but it's never been with Addison there and then Zakai there. So I, I do want to make that happen. That's a goal to all for us to get to, not just get to once in a while, to make it an annual thing because I feel like that's important that you guys are around because you, OJ has kids, so they need to know. He they need to know. Everybody, all of you guys have children, but Zakai. They need to know their 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 cousins, and they need to know their aunts and their uncles, because trust me, man, you know my dad's family, and even my mom's family. Everybody has a favorite aunt, favorite uncle, and I think that, you know, my grandkids need to have that. Well, I like Uncle Sean over, you know, Uncle Pluck because Uncle Sean is funny and he knows wrestlers, and and well, all you guys know wrestlers, but the girls. But you know what I'm saying? Oh well, I'm already the favorite. I, I don't just care think what they, they deserve. Say. But then again, I like being the favorite <laughs> to everything. So, all right. So then you had us. We're all we kind of well. I would say we're yeah. We're we're we kind of stair step. We're we're we kind of stair step. Yeah. Uh, until you go to Zakai, you went from what Addison is what twenty one to ten. Addison is Addison and Zakai like ten years apart. Okay. Ten all years right. apart. Because she just turned she just turned twenty and he's turning. 10. She just turned 20. So, yeah. Addison turned 20 in January. So, okay, OJ's birthday is April. Your birthday is January. Ronald's birthday is January. Jayana's birthday is October. Right? Addison's birthday is January. Zakai's birthday is July. 
So there's a clump of you in January, and then you have April, October, July. So yeah, Addison is a January baby, like yourself. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's get into the, to the education walk. So <laughs> you, um, okay. Um, walk, walk us through your educational journey, because um, there were there were some hurdles there, and then you went from hurdles, and you can't do the basics from what, what people telling you to. Hey, you're actually Dr. Blair now. So so walk okay. us through that. All right, so graduated high school, class of 1990, Stuttgart American High School, which is located in Ludwigsburg, Germany. I'm a military brat. So um, right out the high school, you know, I was in a position to run on a circuit. And, you know, my dad pushed it, but I didn't want to do that. So uh, I end up moving back to the States, and I end up going to Washington, D.C., and I would, I had a, you know, hourly job. It wasn't really paying me anything. So I had people, I was dating someone and her mom told me that I would never get a degree in communications. Cause I was really into like what DJs do and how radio broadcasts work. And um, so one day I was just sitting there and I was like, did she tell me I would never do, do something? So I'm a very prideful person. So I got my packed everything in my car. I drove to my, you know, your granddaddy, when I was, when I drove up, you know, he, he gave me his typical greeting and, uh, uh, you know, what are you doing here, son? <laughs> He's like, what, what are you doing here, son? Uh, you know, people, people live in this house. They pay, they pay bills. So he, he kind of, you know, gave it to me a little bit and I told him I said I came home so I can I, I want to go to college what well, original plan was to attend the University of Tennessee so I was conditionally accepted UT but the the the, the flying ointment was I did my ACT in Germany and my transcripts were at a Dodge school and it's not like regularly available so I had to do this whole journey to find all that stuff, what happened that a lady that I worked with was a, 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 a military brat and she helped me find everything but my ACT score. So at that time in my life, I heavily played basketball and I wrote to FIBA, uh, the Federation International Basketball Association. They sent me this book that has every college, every pro league, every, if there's anything to do with basketball, they sent me it. And I went through the book and I start circling schools that I was going to apply to. So I circle Austin Peay State University, Tennessee Tech University. Um, I was talking to the basketball coaches at UT to walk on, but we still couldn't find my ACT scores. So Austin Peay sent me a packet. Tennessee Tech sent me something about their business school, but Austin Peay sent me a packet that had everything that I needed to know about Clarksville, everything I needed to know about Austin P. I read through all the stuff and they had like a placement thing that they supplemented for the ACT and SAT, but I had to have my high school diploma and my transcripts. So I had that. Took the placement thing, went out to Clarksville. Um, I wasn't going to play sports. I was going to try to play basketball, but when I couldn't get them to let me get a walk-on situation, um, 
I just kind of, I made a bet with a guy and I won the bet, but in dealing the bet, you know, that ended me in football, but we'll get there. But I went to, got my bachelor's degree. I was working with individuals with disabilities and I felt like I needed to, to do more for them. So I got a, um, a master's degree in special education because I was working with individuals with special needs. So I felt like to me, to be a better servant to them, I need to have something to make me understand them and how, you know, the different exceptionalities work. So I got my master's degree in special education. So what happened after I got the master's degree in special education, I got a job opportunity in Hillsborough County in Florida. And then I took the job opportunity in Hillsborough County because one, it was a pay raise. And two, I thought it was an opportunity to, to, you know, to do more things professionally. So once I get there, um, I was talking to your grandma and I was like, I think I want to get my doctor. And this was like maybe 10 years before I went and even got it. Um, so 2011, I enrolled to get my education specialist degree in educational leadership because I'm thinking I'm, I'm not always want to, you know, go be in the classroom. I like to be an athletic director um, on the collegiate level. And I wanted to do something that would differentiate me from the other candidate. So then I was just sitting around one day and I was like, why not do a doctorate? I was like, I've done the bachelor's that someone told me I couldn't do. I did the master's to help, you know, bolster my um, ability to get, you know, employment. The leadership thing was just another, you know, bullet in the gun to kind of get me uh, I guess a little bit more props away from the other candidates when I apply for athletic director job. And I was like, well, I'm going to just get this doctorate just to see if, if I have it mentally to do it. And that I ended up, I guess I had it mentally to do it because I mean, I had what 3.9 GPA. Um, yeah. And that's how I ended up with it, man. And I just, I mean, I still find it odd to be hear myself called Dr. Blair, but at the same time, it's just like I said at the beginning, it's just something to, to motivate you guys to say, if my dad can get this, then I, I, I sure can get it too, or I can get as much of it as I can. Because like when I talk to you guys or when I, when I, um, have convers when I have conversation with you or your brothers or your sisters, I always think about what I was doing at your age before I opened my mouth. And you know how my mouth is. So you know I typically can come off real quick with some smart alecky something or something really silly or just whatever. So let's let's, you know, if you if, if we're having a conversation about something, you're 30, I'll say at 30, what was I doing when I was his age? He's further along than I was at 30. So I have to be realistic with myself when I'm talking to you to say, you're 30. You can do whatever you put your mind to academically. All you have to do is put your mind to do it. My academics, it was just me proving people wrong to say I couldn't do it. So if you tell me I can't do something, 
I will figure out a way to make you a liar and I'm going to do it. That's just how I ended up with all these degrees. So have you seen any professional advancements yet from being uh, having that degree? Has that changed? There's no secret. I hate school. I know I got to finish for a number of reasons and I drag my feet. I hate school. I I would rather walk from here to damn New York City than sit in a classroom because I hate school. I have hated school for, I don't know. And I value education, which is crazy. I value education. Uh, George got to go to a good college. He's got his top five. He got to go somewhere because he can't stay here. He eat too much. Uh, but I uh, I don't know. I just, I don't know why I hate school. You know, I hate school because I started making money. And working in high school, because the deal was I had to, I didn't have a driver's license. I didn't have a job. And my mama was going to make me come live with you. And I didn't want to do that. And the conditions were I had to get a driver's license. I had to get a job. <laughs> Otherwise, I was moving to Tampa. And uh, it's not even so much you. I didn't want to leave Columbia. That that was my stance. I was I was Mr. Columbia. Hell, some days you can't tell me I still am yeah. Mr. Columbia. Yeah. So you 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 are Mr. Columbia. I didn't want to leave Columbia. I mean, I didn't really like school. I really didn't like school, and um, I just wanted to prove people wrong. Um, have I seen any benefits to having these degrees? Oh, most definitely, most definitely. Because, you know, being a black male with all these degrees and specializing in special education, there's not a place on this planet I can't get a job. And I'm not saying it to brag. I'm just saying it that that's factual. Because, I, I, you know, there's not really a lot of, I mean, African-American males that do what I do, they're there, but they don't specialize in special education. I specialize in it. That's my passion, helping kids who don't think that they can. I mean, I like doing it. Um, but... When you get those degrees, you get more dollars, and then you put yourself in a position to get to better positions within district. As far as you and Mr. Columbia, I worked at what Pine Mount Elementary School for a year. I loved being at Pine Mount. I loved being in Columbia County. My numbers there were outstanding. Um, but you know, there's nothing wrong with finding your niche at a place and going with that. Like one day, I think that as as astute as you are you're going to be in a position of power in Columbia County. It's just a matter of time. You know, I'm a firm believer that our steps are ordered. Uh, and I believe that your steps are ordered, that you're going to be in a position to where you're a shot caller because that's just who you are. It's in you. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you don't need degrees to do that. You just have this belief in yourself. Yeah, but I, I, that's just how I think of my kids. Go ahead. I'm sorry to cut you off. What you say? I mean, that's just that's just the power that I see in my children, man. That's just the power that I see in you. Like, that's what I see in all my children. It's just like I had to have my awakening. My children are in time will have their awakening to do the things that they want to do. So you you I mean, you being 30, that don't mean you're still you're done growing. You're just going to evolve into be a better version of you just like all your brothers will. The ones now that are in that stage, you mean your sisters, they're, they're, in that, they're in that stage of finding themselves and trying to evolve into women that they want to be. So, I mean, I understand that. I went through it. 
and I understand you, you guys have to go through it, but I mean, that's life, man. As I, I don't want to be one of those parents that try to, well, you're going to do this because that doesn't make you, that doesn't, like, that doesn't endure you to what you're doing. It's just, I'm doing it because people say so. But that's just how I think, man. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there eventually at some point because uh, my wife wants to go get her doctorate and her deal was I have to be done for her to go get her doctorate and she now she really wants it. So, I think that's awesome. Huh? Yeah. I said, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. No, she, she can have all that's the awesome. degrees she wants to. Yeah. I like the house code anyway. <laughs> Alright, so let's talk about coaching because uh, Let's let's flip. Okay. Let's talk about the athletic career first, because that feeds into the coaching. Because there's okay. the, the, the basketball, golf, soccer, uh, football. It's funny. I, I listen to people talk, and and just remember, remember when it used to be me, you, and Peerless talking trash uh, on Facebook, and you would be like, All right, "What level yeah. did you play at?" and dismiss me from the competition. So I know that's in you. So so let's walk. <laughs> let's let's walk because you could have you could have caught passes from Brett Favre. That that was an option. That was a career option. For I could have. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so went to Austin Peay State University. Well, I played football because I was a dude told me. So there was a guy in our dorm, in my dorm at Austin Peay, and he used to just sit in there and watch his highlight tapes. Well, he didn't. He was a not. He was like academically didn't qualify to make the team, but he qualified to start school. So it was it was one day in December, and I, me running my mouth, told him he sucked. And uh, he was like, I can shut you down. And he played corner. I said, dude, if we go outside and I catch 10 passes, I said, if they throw 10 passes, I'm going to catch 10 passes. And I said, you're supposed to be all state. I was 9 out of 10 because the guy throwing the ball was his friend. And I he tried to try to throw an interception. I said, no, dude. That we got money on the line is a bet. So... Anywho, I ended up playing football. Um, I was a, a four-year starter. My first year, I was all special team because my coach did not like that I came out at 26 years old. He did not like that. He did not like that I was that old playing. But it gave me a reason to stay in school and work harder. So I was a you know four-year starter at that. Then my sophomore year, I started getting passes from my senior year, my junior year, I was, you know, I had that hit that wall. Like, do I really want to do this? Did I want to transfer? But then my senior year, I kind of got into the, you know, a little groove. And it was the year 9-11. And, you know, I, I, I tied a 30-year record. I at, at one point, I had the yards per catch, highest yard per catch average in school history. Uh, I mean, I just had a really phenomenal career there to me, being that I hadn't played football since 1989 and I went back and played seven, eight, six, seven years later. Um, my senior year, our quarterback, we, so we're going in, we're in our red zone and we're going in. I think we're like in the, I'm, I run an in route on the five. The, the, the ball's like on the eight. Our quarterback throws an interception. And the guy catches it and I'm standing at like the two. The guy is at like the 35 or 40 going away. And I chase him down and I tackle him. But when we fall in the end zone, I have the ball. 
well, you know the rules of football. If he has possession while I simultaneously have possession, it's their ball, so they gave him a touchdown, even though if you look at the film, I clearly have the ball. But that play, it was a scout from Green Bay. He came down, and he watched that tape, and our grad assistant coach came to me. He said, Green Bay likes you. He was like, nah, so me being me, I was like, man, get out of here. You know, they, Green Bay, doesn't, they don't want me. He's like, no, Green Bay likes you. So after that play for like, I want to say three or four weeks, that one scout was at every practice. And the guy said, that guy's here for you. But what happened was we had a quarterback with a cannon on. Brian Baker was phenomenal. Uh, Brian Baker was like 6'5". Brian was 6'5", like 245. Brian could stand on the... 10 and he could throw the ball to the other 20 that's no exaggeration uh on a tight spiral very very athletic big guy well coach the coach wanted them to take brian but the guy wanted me so what the coach did was he emphasized how old i was and then when he emphasized how old i was they stopped coming but then at the end of the season trying to get there and trying to get that traction back that was difficult because it was a small school we we didn't win a lot but it gave me an education football wise that i didn't have from the perspective of a fan like it's a job and i learned so much going to those meetings and breaking stuff down and how to view the game and the tendencies and all that because i, I played special teams offense and defense in college so I learned just a different perspective of the game. But athletically, football, I was, you know, they put me in football when I was 10 because of I was so aggressive when I was younger and I used to act out in school. So that was a way to get me to calm down. The actual first sport I ever did was I ran track like in first grade at Fair Garden Elementary School in Knoxville, Tennessee. My, my stepmom put me there when I was in what first grade, because once again, I was one of those kids that acted out. So they had a little track team and she put me on the track team. And then, so I ran track throughout my life. Um, I went to what, three different high schools. The only year I didn't run varsity track was my ninth grade year. And that's because they were stacked. That school was stacked, but I was a freshman. So I didn't, I didn't really expect to do varsity stuff as a freshman because I was still growing. I mean, as a freshman, I was like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, as a freshman. I wasn't very tall as a freshman. I think, in fact, I may have been your granddad's height when I was a freshman. So it wasn't until I went to Germany that I hit a growth spurt. But just like my 10th grade year, um, this is track-wise, I went to Fulton High School in Knoxville, Tennessee. I played football, played basketball. It was my first year playing basketball as 10th grade. But track-wise, I went to the state championship that year. And we had a, we only had a team of six people. We did phenomenal for just having six. And uh, right before I went to Germany, and we were – it's probably my – I'll say it's my worst and most disappointing um, experience as a, as a sprinter because I was the opening leg for our mile relay team. And I pulled my hamstring coming into the, the final final corner of the uh, the race, which affected our performance. 
because, you know, I got hurt. So when I went to Germany, I put in my mind I wasn't going to have that happen again. And then my junior year in Germany, I had two um, photo finish losses to this guy because the tip of his nose was more pointy or it had more of a point than my nose. Wow. But so when I got to my senior year, yeah, the tip of his nose. That's, it was I would have been back to back champions in in the four hundred because my junior year only I ran the four hundred, the eight hundred, and I did relays my junior year. But my senior year, I was playing around and practicing. I ran the one, and then I ran the two, and then I ran the four, and then I anchored the um, the four by one relay. Well, I was running with ten five. Average ten five in the hundred, and then I was running the average twenty in the two, and the four hundred I was running. Well, it ranged from forty, I say forty seven to forty nine, and then my average margin of victory that year was, I'll say, about ten to fifteen meters in the four hundred. <laughs> I'll say five to ten meters the two hundred. In the 100, I had one race where the guy was like a half step off me. But other than that, that was my closest race. You know what I mean? And I, I ran like that. I ran angry. So, Because at one point, you yeah, were high school, Euro, right? Fastest man in Europe. But so, tell me the Mr. Euro yeah, story. So, okay. Okay, so they give a most valuable runner award at the end of they did i don't know how they do it now over there so you get a most valuable runner award for the entire meet it's like the mvp or the mvr and what happened was um your granddad told me he wanted that plaque he told me the year before that he wanted that plaque so it's like the equivalent of the per so it's like the state of florida has a track meet, state track meet as we know every year. And it has the different classes, right? Uh -huh. So, the person in Europe that's the most valuable runner, he's not just the most valuable runner for class 6A. He's the most valuable runner for 1A or 1B all the way up to how many ever classes. He's the most prolific sprinter for the state. Not like, oil. Oh, He's the most prolific runner for 6A, and then, oh, he's the most prolific runner for 5A. No, I was the most prolific runner for the entire European Department of Defense schools. And there was a lot of schools. And we had one, one big track meet in Augsburg, Germany. And I left with four gold medals. I was a couple hundred of a second off from breaking records. But I got that. I got that because your your granddad will always do stuff to tick me off to make me do stuff harder. So like being Mr. Euro or or the fastest man in Europe at that time, he would say that you can't. He'd be like, you can't do it because the kid before you, the years before, he ran faster than you. He was better than you. He would do stuff like that, and it would piss me off. Like so. My senior year, even when we got to Germany, your mom is going to Spain, and she went to, to Italy before, too, I think, for her spring break. Well, my spring break was 
at the track or it was in the gym because your granddad be like, if you're going to do these things, you're not going to half-ass do them. You're going to do them. And that senior year track, he took me to the track every morning and he would threaten me. He would say, if I come around that corner and you're not coming out of the blocks or you're not doing what I asked you to do, we're going to have some problems right here on this track. So, because I respect, at the time I feared my dad, now I respect my dad. I was out there doing what he told me to do. And I go home and he asked me what I did, not telling what I did, but that's how I got Mr. Euro. It wasn't that it wasn't that I had one good meet and it was it was I dominated from the first meet to the last meet. And it was it was it was it was I I'm not exaggerating. We had a track meet at this school called Wiesbaden High School in Wiesbaden, Germany. And this guy walks up to me talking trash. Well, he didn't know he was going to be in my heat. When he found out he was going to be in my heat, he started coming. Because he had run a 10-8, and he was like, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you. I ran a 10-8. Well, dude, I'm averaging 10-5. You're not going to beat me, one. Two, you have to, you have to get up against me. And I, you, you have this ability, too, that with your facial expression, you can intimidate people to the point where they will not bother you. Well, yeah, my that attitude. face that you have, I will give him, I will give people that at the starting line. If they talk trash to me, that's what they will get. That's the look they will get. So right before we, they put us up, I made sure that I made eye contact with this guy. And when I made eye contact with him, I think he, he ran like maybe a 10-9. I ran a 10-5. And I just walked over to him and you remember when Dane made the clutch shot and they jumped on him, the look on his face, how he was kind of gave him half duck lips and yeah. like walked off kind of like? Yeah. Okay, well, you know me. You know how I can be. I walked up on him, and I looked him up and down like that, and I walked off. And that's the kind of stuff I would do when people challenge me track-wise. Basketball-wise, um, I was just good on defense. Like I said, when I got to Germany – that was only my second year playing basketball. I, I, I mean, it was just football for me. But when I was living in Tennessee, when I was living in Knoxville, my 10th grade year, I lived in a house with, I lived in a two bathroom house. There was 10 people in that house. So I did, I did as many sports as I could to stay out of that house because you, I like, if I got to go to the bathroom, I want to go, I don't want to hold it. So if you're in the bathroom, if you're in a house with one bathroom with 10 people, it gets kind of competitive, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So I just started doing sports, man. I just picked up basketball. And one of your one of my uncles, one of your uncles, took me up to the University of Tennessee. He taught me how to shoot. Defense came easily because it's just lateral movement and you know, getting the ball. And then dribbling. And uh I made the team. And then when I went to Germany, I was on the varsity team. And then that was it, man. Uh, golf, uh, well, we'll get that, the coaching. But athletically, I just, I mean, athletically, football, basketball, track, man, uh, those things are just, they did it to, to really keep me out of trouble because I was always into something. I was always into something. Always. Always. In fact, one of my punishments growing up was 
I love Marcus Allen. I think Marcus Allen was one of the best running backs to ever play the game. And I, I used to love watching him play. And the Raiders were playing the Redskins. I want to say it's the 83 Super Bowl. And your granddad, as my punishment for something in school, watched the Super Bowl. Well, Marcus Allen had an exciting game that game. And guess who got to miss? Yeah. So, uh, yep, that's the stuff that he would do. So, but, yeah, athletically, that's it. All right. So, I'll tell this story. I love this story. The student, the kid that, that you went outside and raced in jeans while you are teaching in Tampa. <laughs> so, <laughs> my first year teaching, uh, I had a class of, I want to say, 12, 14 kids. And I think you came down that year to watch me teach break. Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. It was the spring break. Okay. So there was this kid who played football. And I was talking about playing football. And he was like, he's like, Mr. Blair, you didn't play any sports. He's like, you're thin. You can't do this. You can't do that. So Friday is dress down day. Well, you know how I dress Monday through Thursday. Button-down shirt, tie, slacks. You know how I dress. Well, Friday was dress down day. So I said, look here, man. And the kid's last name was Washington. I can't remember his first name. But he was like, I was like, we're going to race on Friday. And I said, this is how I know I'm going to beat you. And I did a box jump on the desk. So I'm standing at the front of the room. The desk were in rows. And I, I do a box jump in, in, in dress shoes slacks tie and i just leap up so he gets out of the chair he tries to do the box jump and he doesn't make it all the way up the desk and he kind of stumbles over the desk i said look if that's what your strategy to beat me on friday is you're in trouble he's like i'm gonna beat you i'm fast i, I can beat you so we had lunch before we actually came to class so we came to class and he started out on jeans and tennis shoes. He was like, are you ready? I was like, I'm ready. He was like, well, let's go. So I take the class to the track. I put one kid at the starting line and everybody else at the finish line. I said, do you want to go on the track or do you want to race on grass? He said, I want to race on the grass. I said, I right, bet. So we get on the grass. I put them at the other end of the field. The kid says, <laughs> the kid says, on your mark. You said, go. The kid takes off. I slip. He's like, he's maybe three steps ahead of me. So we start at the end of the end zone. And I slip. He's at the goal line. And we're going the length of the field. By the time we got to the 10-yard line, I had passed him. And I beat him. He stopped running. I look back. He was standing at the 50. And I was, I had crossed like at the end of the field because he had stopped running. And then we went back to class, and the deal was that if he won, he could teach class. He could do what he wanted during class. If I won, he had to submit all his work in on time. He, If he needed to talk, he had to raise his hand. So for the rest of that year, he raised his hand and turned his work in on time because he lost. But he's not the only kid to do that. I, <laughs> But, I mean, your brothers tried that, too. Like, o OJ tried that one year, said he could beat me. And I was working out Austin P. And he's like, Daddy, I can beat you. I'm faster than you. And I kind of looked at him and I said, are you sure that you can beat me, OJ? 
He's like, Daddy, I can beat you. I said, okay. I said, but I'm going to give you a head start. So we're on the field at Austin P, and I give him a 10-yard head start, and I beat him by 10 yards. And then when I stop and look back at him, he, he just had this smile on his face, like, like he couldn't believe that I beat him like that. And I told him, I said, what, you thought I was going to let you in because you my son? I'm not that dad. Like, what, what does me letting you in do? It don't make you better. If you beat me, you're going to beat me. You're going to have to outthink me. That's going to make you better. Me letting you win, that don't make you better because life, they're not going to let you have anything. You have to earn it. And he's like, okay. Uh, oh, okay. So, I mean, it's like that with y'all in video games, man. When y'all beat me, if y'all beat me, you're going to earn it. If, if it's not me letting you win, you're going to earn it. You know how I am when we play. We play a lot. You're going to earn it. But I feel like if you beat me and you go play your friends, you're going to whoop your friends' ass because I'm going to make you better. That's my job as a dad to make you better, to make you think, to make when I play chess. And I make everybody else play checkers. That's just how I think. That's how I want my kids to think. I want you guys playing chess three steps ahead. And your competition play checkers. Most checker players think, oh, I'm going to jump here and jump there. No. Chess is strategic. It's setting everything up. That's how I think. That's how I want my kids to think. Uh, I had to do Jordan. That's like why that. I've done some of the things that I've done. I, I remember he um, – we were playing – I don't know how he had NCAA, whatever the – last one was he had it on the playstation and we're playing and i'm like i know and this is before jordan now really knows football he's in a good program where he really knows sports like he I mean, he can break down coverages all that stuff so playing with him now is different than playing with him when he was 11 right now now he okay. could probably yeah. really run the game on me but we're playing and he like is whooping my behind and i can't figure out how in the world is this kid say everything he does it doesn't make sense so I'd go in and look at the AI <laughs> And uh, he had set it up to where all his stuff was maxed. I mean, they didn't make a mistake. And uh, it's like, all right, since, so since you cheated, yeah, you, and he beat me like five times in a row. So, you know, this time, you know how I am playing the game anyway. You beat me, I'm going to be mad. But you beat me like five times in a row, and I know you're not supposed to beat me. <laughs> and so. Uh, I was like, all right, we put it where it was supposed to be. I beat him by, like, 40 points. And he had picked up the controller to play me in a game since. It's like, all right, I get it. I won't cheat anymore. But sometimes you got to do that, kid. Sometimes you got to make them understand that uh, ain't nobody going to get it to you for if, if you got to cheat, I feel like if a person has to cheat me to beat me, I've already won. I don't, I don't need to dub if a person to cheat me because I've already made you cut a corner to win. And that's the whole thing, like, if you have to cut a corner to win, you're not really winning. You're losing. If you beat someone, beat them straight up. But the fact that I know you and I know you probably talk trash when you got up by 20 and you talk trash when you got up by 30 and then when he got beat by 40 that you reminded him, that that's probably why he won't play you again in that because when you win, you let people know you won. His, his mama was so mad. But that's in life, period. When I'm winning or when I'm right, I really have to stop <laughs> just because some of the leadership. But I am. I, I didn't think I was. I'm for the longest I had myself convinced that I wasn't one of the uh, I told you so people. But I am a I told you so person. 
And I think I enjoy it. It's a problem. It's a character. You problem. get it honest, though. You get it honest. And, and you get it honest. Sometimes I'm like, I'm waiting on you. I know you're wrong. And it drives me crazy. You And sometimes it's better for me <laughs> not for you to come tell me I was right. But that look, that look of, damn it, you were right, but I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of knowing you were right is so much better to me than somebody saying right. you're right. That that just choke on your pride. That's right. So let's get into coaching. Oh, I, I love it. I, I, all right, coaching. Um, So I honestly had never intended on coaching. I didn't, I didn't intend on coaching. What happened was when I moved to Florida, the school that I was at, Plant City High School, their head coach stepped down. And I felt like I'm an All-American. I know the game. I, you know, I put this presentation together. And so I applied for the football coaching job. Well, they had, they was, there was a guy being groomed, and he took over. But the athletic director there, uh, she was a female. She came to me. She was like, you know, we were impressed with your presentation. We want you to be part of the program. How would you feel about taking over our JV program? I was like, I'm cool with that. She says, well, I'd be, she's like, I'd be cool with that too. She said, but it's the head coach's decision. She said, I'll go talk to him. Well, he'd already promised a job to a guy. And there happened to be a, a, a coach there. His name is Clarence Higdon. He was taking a job at Tampa Bay Tech. And he needed a JV head coach and a wide receiver coach. And he interviewed me in the teacher's lunchroom. And I took that job. Um, at the same time, though, or, right, or prior to that, girls flag football which has been going on in Florida for a while. I was approached to coach at Armwood. And when I took the job at Armwood, there were like 80 girls at the tryout. And the guy who was the head coach, he had like, there was 80 girls at the tryout, but he had a group of eight girls over there with him. And I'm looking at him. He was like, oh, those are your girls over there. I got these girls. What he did was he tried to get who he thought was the cream of the crop girls. And those girls didn't materialize because he wasn't a very good coach. So he did that for one year. And then after that first year, I took over as the head coach. And we kind of established a winning program there. But back to the TBT thing, when I got the TBT, they hadn't won games in years. I know they, they, they said the JV team hadn't won games in like, I want to say they were three years. And they didn't have a very good tradition when I was there. And I don't know about recently. I know before I left Florida, they had turned the program around where they were in the playoffs consistently. But, and in fact, the guy who's the head coach there was my defensive coordinator on my JV team. So, um, we took a team that was Owen forever that first year. We took a team. They should, they should have finished five and one. They should have finished five and one. But we finished three and three. Um, one game I'll say, I'll say that there's an asterisk by it. And I say that because we played Armwood 
that year, and Armwood had a bye week that week. And every underclassman that played on Friday played a team of 43 freshmen, I want to say three sophomores and two juniors. They played that JV. They played their team, and I had a, a, like 40, almost 50 freshmen playing. So they should have beat us because if you're playing people that play on Fridays and you can't beat freshmen, then, like, th there's a real problem with your program. Um but, you know, I learned a lot from that. I learned a lot from Coach Cal. Um, basketball, I got into coaching basketball because the teachers would play basketball on Sunday, and I would go in there and play basketball. And I was they just liked the way I play. I was aggressive. I played defense. I could score. Uh, the basketball coach asked me to help, and then I told him I would. Um Golf, they needed a golf coach. And the lady who was doing the girls coaching, she was a golfer. And I mean, I played golf on, I think, I mean, I played Tiger Woods golf a couple of times. I knew how the clubs work. I knew the distances and all that. But she was like, all you have to do is get on the golf cart and make sure that they're progressing. So drove around with my PGA rule book in my back pocket on the golf course and made sure they were doing what they were supposed to do. It was, that was, coaching golf was the first time I saw a live alligator in Florida, which was weird. Uh, Cause I was freaked out by it. I was on the golf cart and I was wondering if it was fast enough to get away from the thing. Um, <laughs> what else? <laughs> yeah, I drove by that thing. You, I, that one of the kids like Coach Blair, they're like, you see that? And I was like, see what? I was like, it looks like some, I was like, it looked like a plastic bag on water. He's like, no, that's not a plastic bag. He's like, that's an alligator. I was like, it's not an alligator. He said, Coach Blair, wait till we get up on this hole. So we got up on the tee of the hole and we looked down. He said, you see him now? And it was like a 15 foot alligator. And I was like, man, I was like, so every time I went by that hole for the rest of the year, I think it was hole going from hole two to three. Every time I drove by that, that hole, I punched it on that golf course. I'm on that golf cart, and they were, they were laughing at me because they're they not going to come out of the water. I was like, I, I know he's not going to come out the water. I was like, because I'm not going to slow down for him to come out the water. So they were laughing about that. Um, so I said, football, basketball, I talked about golf. Soccer. So your sister, um, your sister, your aunt, my sister, your your cousins play soccer. Yes, that was our and great fallout. Was about the soccer. Met, we probably should probably been there. Dude, that's the great fallout about soccer. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. got to fix that because the it was soccer, soccer debate. Soccer five years ago over it soccer. Go ahead. Over soccer. So, uh, at my new school, Patriot High School, that's in Knoxville, Virginia, they needed a JV soccer coach. And I was reading emails and she had randomly called me one day. And I told her, I said, let me read this email to you. And I read the email and she's like, you should do it. I was like, do what? She's like, you should coach soccer. She's like, I've heard, cause I've attended so many of Caden and Kai's games that, you know, I, I, I followed the game, like, you know, 
I have a favorite team. And then, of course, when Team USA plays or USA women play, you know, I know the rules and everything. So I emailed the athletic director and said, in, in all caps, if there is no one available, I might possibly take on the JV soccer coaching job. And then one day I'm teaching and the soccer coach, she comes up, knocks on the door. She says, are you still interested in being a soccer coach? I was like, sure, why not? She's like, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you. She said, but, you know, but if you're not, I'll find someone else. I said, sure, I'll do it. Long story short, um, uh, COVID-19 shortened our season. But when it shortened our season, they were 2-0. and And they were averaging four goals a game. So, and I don't know the history of the varsity program. I just know that JV program, they had won. They, last year they finished. Did they finish? I don't, I don't think they finished with a winning record last year. But this year, um, they were 2-0, four-goal average. They gave up no goals. Um, they allowed only two shots per game. And it was fun. Like it was, the mo- I want to say it was the most fun I had. But that would be insulting my flag football girls because those young ladies, they got out there. I mean, we had a couple state qualifiers, won a couple state district championships, were district runner up a couple times, and this is from uh, young ladies who a lot of them had never played football. They just watched it with their dad, and now, as you see. Flag football is in Florida, Alaska, Arizona, California, and the state of Georgia just mandated that uh, all schools in every county in, in Georgia has a, a girls flag football team. And then one of my old players just sent me a message on IG telling me that uh, NAIA schools are making women's flag football varsity sport. So, you know, coaching-wise, I, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I like when you bless coach, you. Uh, I like when you would coach girls flag football. That was uh, very, 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 I'm very, sure very fun times. Uh, to say the least. I'm sure you did. You spit it with some It was what it was. All of them, every one of them. Here's my phone number, but that's that's not here nor there. Oh, so, yeah. uh, what would you say? <laughs> Uh, to the people that are listening on the perspective, what's your uh, major perspective? What's your final thought you want to share? Because um, it's been an hour. It doesn't feel like an hour, but it's been an hour. I know. Right? My perspective on what? Our conversation? Uh, you no, know, just give me, give me your you perspective know? about anything in life, not about me. Just uh, give the people something to chew on as we exit. Oh. It don't got to be deep. And, oh, yeah, okay. something to chew on my perspective. No, I, I, I'm not going to try to make a profound statement. I'm just being myself. I mean, so many people, when I told people that we were going to do this thing today, they were like, don't get on there being this way. I don't get on there being that way. And I was like, well, you know, and I talked to my kids, I'm always honest. So I would say, you know, my, my final thought and my final perspective on life is, um, it may sound a little cliche or cheesy, but 
the life you want is what you is what you put into it. If you if you want to be successful, you will make the sacrifices. You will do the things you have to do to get the things that you want, because nobody's going to give you anything. And my best friend is my dad, and my dad is my best friend because my dad to this day still challenges me to be the best me I can be. If it's with my kids, the best father I can be. If it's in a relationship, the best partner I can be. If it's at, at my job, the best teacher I can be. If it's coaching, the best coach I can be. It's whatever you want in life is what you put into life. If you want the best, you got to do the best. You got to be the best. You have to have that mindset. You got to play chess, not checkers. And as long as you do that, man, you can have a successful life and, and good things happen for you. And you have to be willing to Go in your closet, have that one-to-one -one conversation with God every day. And that's something I do. I, 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 I pray daily. I talk to God. I, tell, I ask God. I don't tell God. I ask God for the things that I deserve and, and, and those type of things. And I'm honest in my communication when I go in my closet and pray. And I pray over my children. And I'm, I'm, I'm honest and true in how I deal with people. So that's what I would say. My final thought is be positive, be productive, and good things will come to you. Dope. Well, I think this has been good. And uh, even if the people don't enjoy listening to it, I've enjoyed recording it. So uh, we'll have to catch up a little later. Happy Father's Day. I've enjoyed it as well. All right. Happy Father's Day to you as well. I love you, son. I'll I love you, you too. Later. Talk to you later. <laughs> Bye.